0: Josh Giddy's just 19 and he's trouble. Sunday night, Mr. Rannon got a triple-double. Oh, here goes. And welcome to episode 14 of Throwback Hoops. Just before we get into the show, as always, just letting you all know, please check out the video on YouTube and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen Listen, on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, and to all our listeners and fans, thanks for the ongoing support. Now, as always, I'm joined by my main man, Robbie Clinton. What about the young prodigy, Josh Giddy RC? I know you watched that
1: triple-double, homie. Hey, mate. It's good to be back after a couple of weeks off. Yeah, really enjoyed seeing um, Josh Giddy do, do what he did there, so I think he's, he's really rising up those uh, sort of rookie boards at the moment, so yeah, really proud to see that, and yeah, really excited about today's episode, mate.
0: Definitely, Robbie, definitely. So, yes, as you said, we're joined by a very special guest today, one of the greatest ambassadors for the game of basketball in our country, five-time WNBL champion, three-time Olympian and two-time Olympic medalist, world championship medalist, FIBA Hall of Famer, Women's Basketball Hall of Famer, WNBA All-Star, a number seven hangs in the rafters in Phoenix, Michelle Timms is in the house. Thanks so much for taking the time to speak to us today, sister.
2: Hey, thanks for having me. Be
0: looking forward to it, no worries. Michelle. Here. <laughs> yeah, I try to follow up that, that that great intro Brad Rosen gave you in the Brad and Body podcast. I'm not sure if it was as good, but I, you know, I did my best
2: right there, right
0: there. <laughs> All right, so you know, if you come on Throwback Hoops, Michelle, it's uh, it's basically important that you wear a jersey because that's what our show is about. And I noticed you got a, a very topical jersey on there at, at the very. moment. You want to tell us a little bit about uh, who you're rocking today.
2: Yeah, well, I'm not a rat for the uh, for the club anymore. I used to be, but uh, not anymore. But I've got uh, our boy Ben Simmons uh, jersey and signed on the back, and uh, nice. It's the only NBA top I have. Although I must admit, no offense, Ben, but I'm still really like you. But I'd love a Josh uh, uh, Giddy jersey. That's the one I'm going to get, you know, next. So, um, yeah, but I do a little bit of work with Ben Simmons camps when they come out. So. Very excited, but very disappointed to see what's happened to him. Um, you know, and the way that's all been handled, it's just a, a crime, if you ask me. So, but um, yep, yeah, he's my boy. I've got his jersey on, and uh, proud to be repping Ben Simmons.
0: And and Michelle, I'm sure you would have had some sort of relationship with his father, Dave Simmons, going back to the 90s. Have, have you crossed paths with Ben's father before?
2: Yeah, have. Um, they come out and run camps, uh, usually over the school holidays at some stage. And so I jump on board with their crew and um and you know, we run camps in Sydney and, and Melbourne. So um yeah. So I uh, you know, I to say I mean, I don't know Dave great, but watched him play as, you know, the old Melbourne Tigers days and yeah. um and now re met him again doing these camps.
0: Yeah, it's nice to see Dave Simmons and Maura Giddy now having their sons both being yeah, successful in the back. NBA. So that's full circle, right? So, yeah. Oh,
2: it's just fantastic. And Josh Giddy, oh my goodness, what a you know, I don't, I don't know. Did anyone pick it? He was going to be so good, so quick. Like we knew that you know the boy had talent, but boy, he's just killing it. And he just plays um, with so much poise and and just mature beyond his years, you know. And he's just. Uh, absorbing and taking every opportunity and just I, I didn't realise how good he was, you know. I hadn't seen a lot of him, uh, seen him play a lot, but, boy, I'm getting to see him now and just amazing. I mean, I love the way he uh, he creates and dishes that ball, like, you know, a bit like Joe Ingalls, really. He reminds me a bit of Joe, to be honest, but, yep. mm-hmm. um yeah. I think anyway. everyone
1: focused on Josh's, you know, jump shot and everything and didn't focus on the fact that he's a gun at everything else he does, you know, so it's... Yeah. It's like, yeah, he's yeah. really impressed me as well. I mean, his passing and being able to pass over the defenders, yeah, it's, it's well, really, And it's he's quite. very creative
2: with the ball defensively, too, I find. Mm-hmm. I think he's really good defensively as well. So, yep. yeah, it's all about the J man. I do have a Josh Giddy t shirt, I must admit. But, um,
1: well, what Michelle Woody and I were saying as well, we we need to get Josh Giddy jerseys. We have actually haven't done our order yet. So, yeah, I think you're onto something with that well, one. we me too. up,
2: Are we? Yeah,
1: up? I will. We'll order three. We'll yes. order three. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for that michelle so robbie uh
0: i know you've got your double jerseys as always why don't you tell the audience a little bit about what you got today so
1: well because obviously michelle's number seven is um is hanging in the rafters with the mercury there so i thought i better better hang it in the rafters in the in the study that i'm in now so in the clayton household all right I got exactly I got so you. yeah right. i was just saying sort of before we started recording i've had that jersey i think around 18 years now it's a little bit small for me so unfortunately i'm not wearing it but um <laughs> it's like, yeah, hey. I was really sort of pleased <laughs> to sort of get that out and sort of hang it up there um yeah, you know, the only complaint about that jersey, Michelle, is that font of the Mercury is so small on that jersey. It's obviously, I think it's just that era they were doing it. But I think if well, they were if doing they
2: were, that, it's it's yeah. funny, Rob, because the um the gear that we had to wear was really stifling. It was so big and so heavy, mm. and that um, looks like one of the replica. I don't know whether that's the the same uh, as the play one, but they were so heavy and so big, and they they weren't nice to wear at all. Nowadays, Probably they're the much one. nicer. But um, yeah. If that was, that's probably the only fault was the 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 jerseys and the material of the jerseys was like nothing I'd ever worn. That's for sure. That's strange, and massive yeah, yeah. But <laughs> nice. it's funny that, that's. Did you say that's Dan Dan Marley's?
1: Yeah. So this one here. So yeah, like I'll just sort of. I guess I'll just sort of stand up quickly and just sort of show you this one. So it's a yeah, Thunder Dan Marley Woods. You can talk a bit about this one for sure. So for all the
0: uh, audio listeners who can't see, Robbie standing up right now with the Adidas. Throwback, Suns, white, number nine, Dan Thunder Dan Marley,
1: Phoenix Suns jersey. Awesome jersey there, Robbie. It is actually signed on the back of that one as well, but it's very faint, so you can't really see it. But um, look, just a very sort of you know, quick spiel on, on Thunder Dan there. So I know a lot of people will remember his, um, his time in the NBA. So he played 14 years um, in the NBA. Eight of those years were, which were with the Suns. So he's obviously kind of remembered as being a, you know, a very important Phoenix Suns player. Um, he was drafted pick fourteen in the '98 NBA draft. Um, Woody, who was number one in that draft, in the 19? ninety eight. Your boy out of Kansas. Ooh, oh, nineteen eighty eight. You mean ninety eight? Sorry, yeah, 88. no, eighty eight. Sorry, 88. sorry. 88. Danny Manning, baby. Danny, Danny Manning. Manning. There you go. Danny so. Manning, I knew you know that. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, thanks for the correction there. So, and yeah, look, Thunder Dan. He played in three NBA All Star games. Was a two time All Defensive Team player. Um, Post playing career, he's been sort of coaching at Grand Canyon University, where I believe he was there for about eight years. So, um, so Michelle, did you ever cross paths with Thunder Dan, or even go to his restaurant, or anything else like that? that yeah, well,
2: have... the, the Marley Sports Bar was across the road from the, or is across the road from the arena. So that used to be an automatic. So after mm-hmm. the game, all the supporters and the players would go back to the Marley Sports Bar, and it'd go off. It was, um, it was fantastic. So. Um, and, and in my first year, actually, they they named they um, because I love Mexican food. They named their um, taco salad the Timsey Taco Salad there for, oh, nice. for, a year, for a year or two. So nice. that was a great honor. But speaking of the sons, I, I do actually have because uh, I thought this was the only NBA jersey I had, but I've actually and it's not mine; it's my, my daughter's, to be honest. But um, <laughs> I do have one at my um, at my uh, my my brother's house that I gave him when I was playing. Um, in a two ball competition with the great Stevie Nash. Ah, so yes. Stevie Nash's jersey hanging up at my brother's place, actually. I should have ripped that down to bring that on because I think I
1: saw th- that picture on Google. It looked like you two were the best of mates as well. Yeah, that I, I did. Oh, mate, was awesome. that
2: was a blast. That was insane. It was just an experience. You know, it was Michael Jordan's last uh, All Star game at, at Madison Square Garden, and, and it was crazy. It was so surreal and just rubbing shoulders with all those legends. It was yeah. it was absolutely what, what was Steve
1: Nash like then, Michelle?
2: Oh he was super nice. Yeah. Super nice guy. Like uh, um yeah just just a really really good down to earth guy. And um and they all were though. they you know the we we went out before our two ball competition. I don't remember if no if you remember the two ball competition they matched a WNBA player up with a yep. yeah an NBA player and you had I don't know, I think you had a minute to score as many as you could. And I remember, yeah. And before before the um the the comp were out there shooting around, I'm just shooting the lights out, just like unbelievable. Like you know, like two uh, two meters from or a meter from the um center line, nailing them and just shooting great. And then as soon as it came out of time, it was like just the, the 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 occasion was like so overwhelming. It was I like just for the first time ever I just went this you know like white numb. I don't know how to explain it. And I was like oh my god, do I know how to shoot? You know, but no nah, Stevie was great and um, we did really well actually. But we missed a spot, so um, we didn't we didn't finish in the top three. And it was a bummer because I, I remember that it was a there were cash. You had cash winnings, so uh, it yeah. didn't, didn't mean much to Stevie Nash, but it did to me. For sure.
1: do, you, do you recall who won that event, Michelle, going back
2: then? Oh, no. no, It was so long ago. That's just yeah. such a different lifetime for me. But mm-hmm. I just remember the whole um Mattis, playing in Madison Square Garden and it was Michael jo- Jordan's last All-Star game and, and the place was just going off with celebrities and parties and, yeah, it was just a great environment. And what I... What I really liked was um, how respectful and 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 close the NBA players and WNBA players were. It was it was great because it was in our you know a season and and the guys just really you know um, just you know like I remember uh, uh, Kobe Bryant um, he had a big horde of people around him and um, and you don't know who's who knows who or anything like yep. that and um, and you sh- for sure don't think any of these guys know you but he um, he walked by and said um with his big horde of groupies and goes hey love your game you know oh, it's like awesome. wow that, was, wow. that was cool. yes. yeah i know and um and charles barkley was the same as well so um yeah just just amazing very cool
0: yeah terrific and actually speaking about Steve nash it's really nice to see him having an influence in in patty mills's life now coaching him now, uh, over yeah. in brooklyn so that's uh, good that
2: that's amazing brilliant. you know yeah. Stevie nash was for me, he was the best point guard I, I ever watched playing the game. He just, he was from a different, um, he was ahead of his time, I think, with his reads and the way he could just slow everything down. And and it was funny, I remember everyone, Um, I remember an article came out saying, oh, how come he's so much better at this stuff than everybody else? You know, the reads off the omballs and all this sort of, you know, and the way he can just has time and space. And and somebody said in an article, oh, it's because he's on Ridland. You know, it's unfair advantage. He takes Ridler, you know, for whatever. You know, I was like, that's ridiculous. The guy was just just unbelievable. You know, he um, he, you know, and you can see the way people play now that they took a lot from Stevie Nash's games. I think, I think he really Mm -hmm. helped revolutionise the game a little bit, especially in the point guard position.
0: Yeah, having that background playing soccer as a kid with that vision of the field as well. He's spoken sure. about in the past that helped him as well when he when he took up basketball. So yeah. yeah and you. you know
2: what? I, I watch a lot of his um um you know, his YouTube stuff and things that he puts online. And it's really interesting seeing the way he coaches, you know, the reads and all. I mean, it's it's nice to have him break it down. It's it's really interesting watching that.
0: Awesome. So I might as well just quickly showcase my jersey. It was only fitting a, a jersey today. I know you got the jersey, Robbie. I like it, Woods. So Woody's yeah. standing up. He's got the
2: yeah, no, number seven, seven jersey. I like that. Yeah, yeah I like it. I like it a lot, yeah.
1: They're a bit more wearable than t-shirts and the jerseys, aren't they? You can kind of wear them to a few more places, yeah, I think.
2: they are. And I think that was the nicest one, to be honest, that they came out with, um, the the red one.
0: Had to yeah. suck it in a bit, man. Put on a few since I got this. So. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, <then we> will.
0: <laughs> no worries. Well, thanks, guys. Really appreciate you showcasing your jerseys and speaking a little bit about about them. So maybe let's just get into it. You ready to chop it up with us, Michelle? Yeah, let's go for right, it. Let's do it. All right. So, firstly, I have to say the influence you've had on basketball culture in Australia—it's been unreal. Like growing up in the late '80s and early '90s as kids not just Robbie and me, but a lot of people didn't know much about the female game until you came around. You know, you're you're a point guard with a wicked handle. You had that swagger, the sick air, you know, kind of like Alan Iverson with his swag and the cornrows in the USA. Looking back now, you were the kind of icon you were and the cultural impact you've had on the sport in Australia and and putting the women's game on the map.
2: Oh, you know, that's really lovely of you to break it down like that. Um, I I think that... uh, um, when, when I look back now, I mean, not when you live when you when you're living the moment, you don't think about it so much. But I think definitely when I look back now, I'm pretty happy with the way things went. And when I was playing, I always I, I found it really important to make sure that I was um like a role model not only for the young girls but also the boys. And I think that for me was something that I really um I really liked the fact that I appealed to to both guys and girls. And um, especially now that I'm um I'm retired and I can look back. I see that that I, I did. When I retired, I had um in fact not when I retired, when I made the FIBA Hall of Fame a couple of years ago, I got a lot of um congratulations from just random people. And a lot of people um were were men, you know, who are in their, you know, 35s, 40s saying, you know, congratulations, you are my hero. I used to love watching you play and and um yeah, so as much as it was important being a role model for for young girls um it was really nice to to know that I was a role model for boys as well
0: yeah absolutely and you were you know so great great that to hear the stories about people reaching out to you as well once once that happened uh, the hall of fame in in inductation and whatnot so brilliant
2: yeah yeah
0: um look it was a great discussion you had with Brad and Body last year on their show. We all listened to it, right? A lot of the people that listen to our show also listen to, to the Brad and Body podcast. So I thought today, yeah. let's maybe touch on a few topics that, that weren't covered in, in, in that, in that um, interview previously. So um, I, just, I, guess, I guess I just wanted to start talking to you a little bit more about that, uh, your Olympics with the Opals. I know in 88 in Seoul, you guys were so close to winning a medal and ended up in fourth place. Um, we failed to qualify at Barcelona in 92. So you had to wait yeah. eight long years for redemption in, in, in Atlanta in 1996, right? Um, and that must have been extremely satisfying after such a long wait, um, you know, to get on the podium at Atlanta. If you could tell us a little bit about that journey and and that yeah. process over that eight-year period, uh, that would be terrific, yeah. You
2: know, in 88, um, I, my memory's not great when I think about, you know, trying to come up with stories and stuff. But 88, I remember in that... Um, you know, we we were like one shot away from from playing for a medal, which is was going to be unbelievable. You know, I mean, when we were playing for a medal, from winning a medal, I should have said. Yep. Um, against Yugoslavia and um and Shelley Gorman, I'll just give you a bit of a background. So Shop. Channel Seven, I think it was, had my parents were in in Bulleen, not far down the road here, and Channel Seven decided to get the cameras all in there and and view them watching the game. You know, and um. And so, so they're at home watching the game, and the game's a nail biter, and everything's going really well, and we're almost surprising ourselves. We've put ourselves in a great position to win the game. And um, I remember it came down to the to the last shot where um, Shelley Gorman played just amazing defense, blocked a girl's shot, and everybody else turned around to block their man out. And the only player that knew that Shelley had blocked the shot was um, the girl who shot the ball. And so she's run out the baseline, back in, grab the ball off the block shot, and quickly put it up, and we lose oh, on the man. on the buzzer, you know. And so the the cameras are all in the you know capturing all mum and dad, and then as soon as mum and dad said as soon as that shot went in, they got out of there the fastest you could imagine Come because the, you know the fairy tale ending didn't happen. But um, yeah, so eighty eight was um was just an amazing experience. It was my first Olympics, yep. and um soul career and and it was everything you could you know everything you could and more you could imagine from um, the dining hall experience to rubbing shoulders with the best athletes and di- being able to have breakfast lunch or dinner with whatever great athlete you wanted to you just sit next to them and start chatting and and then there was the basketball side so um, which was pretty important and we finished fourth so we're pretty happy with that um, very disappointed that we didn't you know get a medal though and then like you say ninety two we. Um, well, we, we we bottomed out, so we, we didn't even qualify, and that was devastating. And um, I think I I could only manage my, to watch one game at the Olympics. I was so upset, you know, being back here in Australia, thinking, you know, what a what a lost opportunity, you know, especially after doing so well in Korea. Yep. And then, um and then you know we so ninety two comes and goes, and then ninety four we have the world championships in Sydney and um, Adelaide and Sydney and and so we, we're like, we're craving to get back on the court and try and establish ourselves as, as a nation, you know, uh, in the basketball world. And um, we find ourselves in a situation, our pool played in Adelaide, and then they take the top two from each pool. And then you come down to Sydney to play the final round. And um, we're in this, I think we're in this three-way tie in Adelaide. And it all comes down to this game against Italy that we not only have to win, but we have to win by a certain margin. And I And, you know, if we don't win it, it's going to be a financial disaster for Basketball Australia. It's going to be an absolute disaster with the Australian team not going on to the final eight, you know, in Sydney. And um, so there's lots of pressure and uh, And we go out. I think we've got to win by 13. and um, at halftime, we're on track, and then then finally, the, you know, it's all up and down, super aggressive. People are getting sent off. You know, one of the Italian players um, tried to kick me, so she gets sent yes. out. Like, super aggressive game. We end up winning, thank goodness. And then we, um, it was, you know, we made our way to Sydney, and, and then it was like the revitalization of the Opals. You know, it was like, not the revitalisation, it was like a, um, this is a, a new beginning, the, the yep. birth of, of the Opals. You know, Tom Ma had taken the helm, uh, in about 12 months earlier after the 92 Olympics, they appointed Tom. Um, and he put into play everything that was, uh, what, what it was going to mean to represent your country and, and, and culturally what it meant to be an Opal. And we had these seven themes and, um, and so things started coming together, uh, for the opals program. And then on the back of that, so we, we do really well. We 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 don't medal, but we finish fourth again at the worlds. And then we have the Olympics in ninety-six and and it's like this, you know, this steamroll effect, we're starting to get bigger at this snowball effect, we're starting to get better and better. And we're just not a great defensive team. Yep. We've got some athletes in there who like your Trish Fallons, Rachel Sport, you got Rob Ma, you got Shelly, you've got a cast of, you know, thousands who who now have taken us from being always been a great defensive team. You look back in time, we've always, Australian women have always been super defensive teams, but offensively not so great, and we've been small. But suddenly now, in this new era, we've got not only, you know, uh, a great defensive team, but we've got a, a team that can also score, and we've got some height, you know, with Jenny Whittle and those players, you know, and Michelle Brogan. So we've got some real great athletes, and 96 was super special because it was the... It, it, I think Tom Maher did a really good job of instilling in us um understanding where we came from in the struggles of the the women before us and yep. and paying always paying homage to that and knowing that whenever we pull that jersey on or bodysuit that that we're not only representing ourselves we're representing the past and where we where we've come from and and we saw that a lot with um Paddy Mills at, 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 on his journey and how he yep. spoke about what it meant to win the medal and that's exactly what it was like for us in 96 it it, it really wasn't about us it was about the journey of the people before us and the opportunity that they provided us to be able to be where we were on this stage today and and win that first ever medal, the bronze medal for for Australian basketball, men's or women's. So 96 was super special. Um, and then 2000 was the one for me that really got away. I really thought that we, we'd been playing super hoop. We had Lauren Jackson now in the show, yep. um, an absolute superstar, greatest player Australia's ever produced. Uh, and probably will be for quite some time, and um, it 's going to take a heck of a player to to push her off the mantle mm-hmm. and um, and so so we 've got some you know wonderful players surrounding her and we we played a super mm-hmm. tournament, but we just lost our way in that that uh, gold medal game against the u s a and and we were well, definitely well, the team that were were we were in much better form than the Americans throughout the tournament, but we kind of went away for the first time all tournament we went we went away from what the coach wanted us to do and and, um, and yeah, so we ended up second best then. So, which is not
1: Michelle, a big, you were hurt a little bit in that Sydney Olympics, uh, as well. Is that right? Or, yeah, yeah look, I, or... um,
2: uh, I, I was, uh, I, uh, I, I was the only one in on the team who, who said, okay, I'm going to stay in the WNBA and play, um, and get ready for the, for the Olympics. And everyone else committed to staying back in Australia. And, and I guess for me, you know, things my, my, I can try and justify it, but it's looking back now, I shouldn't have done it. But I um I figured I've only got another year in the WNBA and I want to make some bank before yep. I finish. And so I chose to do that. And I got injured towards the end of the season before the Olympics. And so I limped back home and, and just, yeah, I just was, you know, um, couldn't get up. You couldn't you know, physically and mentally, I was I was shot, you know, and and I really didn't want to go to those Olympics, because I I had this fairytale ending that I was going to have, I was going to shoot the winning, you know, be the hero for Australia, I'm my last game for Australia, shoot the winning three that wins us a gold medal, you know, and suddenly, I was so self-absorbed back then, and it was like, oh, I don't want to play if I can't play like I, you know, used to play, and I don't want to have to come off the bench and play bit minutes, and Anyway, long story short, I ended up going to the Olympics and I was captain and had the most amazing and well-rounded tournament that um, an experience of my basketball career because I'd never really focused on what it meant to be a captain, and um, I really got to understand the importance of that and the importance of being a good um, teammate on you know down the end of the bench and, and waving the flag and put you know waving the towel and yep. putting everybody else and the teams you know before you. And I probably hadn't done that before, um, consciously anyway. So um, so it was a, a really great experience and we won the silver medal and I was captain of just a wonderful team and super proud and and just so rapt to have been part of what was an absolutely amazing Olympics in our own backyard.
1: And Michelle, that kind of would have come full circle, wouldn't it? Because in the, you know, the, the 88 Olympics, you would have been one of the younger players and obviously 12 years later, you're captaining the team, obviously one of the veterans on the team there. So obviously sort of came full circle with that, didn't it?
2: It, it, it was. It was full circle in a lot of ways too. I think it was a really nice way. As much as I wanted to be, you know, Timsey able to play, you know, thirty-five minutes a game, it was really nice to be, um, to to experience a side of my game that I hadn't experienced. So it was it was well rounded. You know, it rounded up nicely in a lot of different ways for me those Olympics. Oh, that's
0: great. Mm. Yeah, th- thanks, Tim. Uh, I, I guess I also wanted to cover, uh, back in 1989, right, you became the first Australian male or female to go play overseas in Germany at Lotus Munchen. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, Lotus Munchen. Munchen. Okay, okay. Um, so you're, you're a trailblazer in that sense. You know, I've, I've heard you speak about how being away from home in a foreign country uh, was tough when you were young. Back then, we didn't have mobile phones and things. And, yeah. um, but looking back, how much did you learn from that experience?
2: Oh that was amazing. Um I learned a lot of things not only about myself but about the game as well. You know, I I went over there very young and and you know, very proud Victorian who believed that we had the best coaches, you know, in the world and um and going over there I I for the first time realized that oh gosh, there's more than one way to um play the game, yep. like philosophy-wise and coaching-wise. So for me that was probably the biggest takeaway that um that that there's different ways of of do, of of playing different things philosophy wise in regards to you know um, how you force your man you know where you help from um, yep. there's lots of different things that I was like and I was really against it no oh, no these people they're crazy you know like we've got the best coaches we know how to do that that's not the right way and then finally I gave in and just you know sort of okay that you know there is there's different ways to to you know to skin a cat sort of thing so sure. um, so for me as a player to you know, I felt like I, I grew grew a little bit being over there from that experience, and and the other thing was that I was I, I was over there in a team that was very multicultural. So I had um, a, a Bulgarian coach, a Hungarian um, um, uh, sorry, a Hungarian um, national player, a Bulgarian coach, French national player. So I had and German players. So we we're a very multicultural team, and so and being the point guard, you're the voice. You're meant to be the person who listens to the coach, and you know gets it done on the court. And, and that's the thing I realised over there is basketball is basketball. You know, like even if you've got a language, if there's a barrier, if you know your hoop, you know what's got to get done. And that's what I learned over there too. Like I'd be in timeouts and I wouldn't have a clue what the coach was saying. By the time the, you know, the Hungarian player translated the Bulgarian and then she translated it to the French player who, who knew some English who translated it to me, well, timeout was over and we were bringing the ball up. So um, so I had to, you know, really think on the fly a little bit and just I think I developed my IQ a little bit more or was able to experience the IQ side of the game a lot more over there. Yeah, and I was surrounded by some awesome players. Like I played with a girl over there called Shazana Bokshai who was one of the greatest players in Europe at the time. And, you know, she, had, she was the only one that I knew that had a male jump shot other than yep. Bev Smith, you know she, you know, and and her IQ was through the roof, and she didn't speak a lick of English, and I didn't speak a lick of Hungarian, but we, you know, connected great. She was this; she'd probably be a three man now, but she was a four, or five back then. Yep. And she was um, amazing. Shoot the three, back to basket. She'd do funky stuff like this, you know, take the ball at the at the um, at the foul at the foul line, make the high post catch, yep. you know, spin, and then just throw the ball against the backboard wow. and just slash arm, get the rebound put it in like stuff that you oh, awesome. you know you muck around with, like just and stuff that, stuff,
1: yeah. <laughs> oh, stuff
2: that hadn't been seen before you know just crazy stuff and then on on the fast break you know things like um that's you know we'd come down because she was so good and I got to know her real well we'd come down I'd chuck it off the backboard knew she was trailing and she'd finger roll it in you oh, know nice. just that yeah. was a real joy to play um, with that Lotus Munchen team, the whole team, were, it was a great ex- life experience, as hard as it was at the start, but um, a really fun time, even though there was a lot of language barrier. But Munich was one of the most, it's one of the most beautiful cities in the world, and I got to live in the, um, the centrum, so the centre of it for quite a while. And then I moved out to the Olympus Centrum, so yep. I was in some great places, you know, loved the food, loved the, you know, everything about the experience was fantastic. And then I went on and played another four years in, in Germany, Yep. Vuppertal with Sandy Brondello and and uh, won a championship with the Euro League. That was crazy. That was unbelievable. Like the uh, playing in the Euro League, which is all around Europe, is um is insane. the The noise, you know, when you're watching games and that, or you watch the soccer and the noise, and you know, you watch the men's European, like the noise is just huge. The banging and. Oh. And being able to play in games like that was just an amazing experience, especially when it came to the championship game, which we won. And, you know, to fly back into, um, I don't think we flew to Wuppertal but we flew to one of the closer, you know, because they didn't have an airport there. But we flew in somewhere and it was just packed with, you know, Germans all there with their, you know, their their drums and their, you know, clackers and their T-shirts and waving flags and singing songs about us and we got off the plane. It was just the most amazing, surreal experience.
1: Is that still a pretty strong league over there in Germany that you know of,
2: Michelle? Um, you know, it, it goes up and down the German league. So mm. when I was there, we played the German league and a Pokal Cup, which is a, a cup, like a, um, a national, you know, knockout cup. And then we played the inter- the international, which was the Euro League. So, um, so it was a really it was a wonderful life for a basketball because you were always playing. So you hardly once the season started, you hardly trained. You um you were just playing like two or three times a week. So it was fantastic. But they were long season. They were seven month season. So long time. You know, it was a long haul and over winter. But um, but Munich. I think the German league, as I said, it's gone up and down a little bit. Like when we were there, it it was quite strong. You know, a lot of the good Aussies were there: Shelley Gorman, Trish Fallon, as I said, Sandy Brondello. They had a big influx of Australians, which made the league quite competitive. And um, and of course, you know, there was obviously other other players like Hungarian and Mm. you know other nationalities that came over there as well. But the period we were there, it was quite good. I mean, the proof's in the pudding when, you, when your German club team wins a Euroleague championship. So, But it does go up and down the that, that standard over there in the no. German league.
1: That's well, great. You it's you going on, Robbie. No, no, just one thing I was sort of really interested to find out about there, Michelle, was obviously the whole sort of WNBA sort of how that process sort of unfolded sort of thing. You know, how, how did you sort of find out that Phoenix had sort of selected you? How was that sort of process where, you know, were teams sort of signing or... Chasing people as free agents, or how did they sort of all work with those initial? No, well instead? the very
2: first the very first year they they the WNBA um, handpicked hand picked sixteen players mm-hmm. and each team got to each and there was eight teams and each team got to um they had like a little ballot, each team got to pick two players.
1: Okay.
2: Okay, so out of the sixteens, and they were gonna be your um I don't know, your franchise players or your whatever you want to call them. And, um, and I was playing in Germany at the time, and it was after the 96 Olympics. And I was really lucky because I happened to have two really good games against the USA. And so I think they identified me from the Olympics as someone they'd like to have come um, play the next season, in the inaugural season, and especially seeing though the Olympics were so well watched over there and, you know, I think they thought, okay, well, here's a, a face that we can quickly – sorry, that's my dog running around that's crazy – Quickly identify with um, as a foreigner. So anyway, so I was actually playing in Germany, and I had an agent, Hugh Sandy, who was taking care of things, and and they contacted him and said, "Look, um, the you know we're doing the draw this this time at, at this hour." And I think for me it was like three a.m. in the morning, and we were on the road somewhere in Europe. But I remember um, waking up to the phone call, and and um, you know Jerry Colangelo. Chatting to me about coming oh, to Phoenix and and you know oh do you know much about Phoenix I said oh it's in the desert you know that's about <laughs> it, um so yeah so uh, that's that's how that unfolded and, and Jennifer Gillam and I were the first two players, um handpicked for, for the um for the Phoenix Mercury yep and then um after that was a draft, so the rest of the uh, players uh, they had a draft for.
1: So, essentially, you could have gone to any of those eight teams, right? You could have got that call, yeah, yeah. you know, three yeah, in the morning, really could have been really any of
2: the eight teams. Jerry Calangelo fortunately picked me, so that was great. Mm, very to go to so, so, really lucky and, and you know, um I knew – the, the lucky thing for me back then is I knew I was going somewhere. So, it wasn't like I had to sit and wait for a draft. I knew I was going to be hand-picked in, in, in one of the first eight teams. So, yeah.
0: Very
1: cool. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It it was,
0: so Michelle, I wanted to ask you about that ninety ninety eight season. It was the second season, I think, that you guys made the final series versus the Houston Comets. Am I right in saying that? Yep.
2: Yep. Yep.
0: So literally, <laughs> one missed three your own your own shot, which which nearly nearly made made the that uh, second game yours, but was sent to overtime, and you ended up losing in three games. When you know, you
2: no, know, I need to go back and watch that because I didn't realize that that. that that I missed the, the three at the end. But anyway, I was, well, it was brave of me to take it, to be honest. As <laughs> as though, I don't know why Jennifer Gillen didn't have the ball in her hands. Anyway, <laughs> think about that game, too. So we won game one at home, and that yeah. was just incredible. Like, you know, you got to, the Americans are very colorful and they love doing, they, you know, the players get into it and the crowd gets into it. And one thing I've never done through my career was, you know, they used to do this thing at Phoenix after games when we won, you know, everybody would get out there and dance. And I ne- I, I'm yeah. like, as far as dancing, I'm so white, I don't do it. You know, I just cannot dance a lick. Anyway, and they'd all be and they'd always try and get me out. So like, as soon as the game was over, I'd head to the change room, so I didn't have to, you know, get involved in any of that. And um, after that game one win in that grand final series, I I got I grabbed the big mercury flag, I jumped up on the on the um on the score table's bench, and I was waving the flag around, and it was so exciting to get game awesome. one. It's yeah. the huge. So then we rock on down to, um, um, to Houston and we're feeling good and we know we can do this. We've scouted great. You know, coaches, done a fa- coaches have done a fantastic job. Christy Harrow, Michelle Brogan, we're all, you know, Maria yep. Steponta, um and a cast, Jenny Gillam, and, you know, we're all there. We're all believing in ourselves. One thing, Cynthia Cooper. That girl, you can't give a good man down. Honestly, yep. she, was, she was just amazing. Like I think, and I had her. I think I was on her for most. I loved play against Coops because she was your. She was the person that you judge yourself off because she was the best player in the WNBA. You know, she was phenomenal. And um and and at times I had the matchup on her, so I just I loved that challenge. And I thought I, I'd done a pretty good job at times through the game on her, and she hadn't scored that much. And I remember I remember seeing, at the game they were, they were bringing the velvet rope around the game as the game's coming towards an end. And I think we were like, I think we were 12 up with seven to go. So that's a long time, but they're getting the court ready. You know, they're out the back in the change room. They have put the Kellogg's Kellogg's boxes with their faces on it. And they've got the champagne in there. And and so anyway, you know, we're 12 up. And then Cynthia Cooper decides to wake up. She just goes off. She says, get on my back, girls. I'm taking us across the line and we're going to game three. And so she goes crazy, sends it to overtime and we're like flat as, just couldn't believe we blew it and mentally couldn't get, find out, find our rhythm for the overtime so we lose and uh, not a good thing, not a good thing at all. And then third game, um, they were just too good for us. They ran over us and, you know, we, we didn't get the championship. But I remember um, at for game two, Brian Colangelo had, had flown over. Who was now looking after the, the team and, and you know overseeing everything. And and we knew that he was leaving um because he he wasn't able to stay for the whole game. But he left when we were like 15, 12, 15 up, and he had to get on a flight to get back to Phoenix. And so he left. I'm sure he left that day thinking that we were champions, you know, and then landed in Phoenix and got the sorry news that we blew it, you know. But yeah, Cynthia Cooper was just just phenomenal. You know, we we talk about a lot of players being goats, and it gets thrown around a lot. But And one thing, we, you know, we all have a – we all tend to do is we forget about the people who have come before yep. and how great they were. Like, you know, I mean, Cheryl Miller didn't play in the uh, in WNBA. WNBA. Yep. You're talking goats, you've got to throw her in as well. Like, we tend to forget the ones who are long gone. Yep. And um to me, Cynthia Cooper – in the WNBA, Cynthia, Cynthia Cooper – and Lauren Jackson, the two best players to have played the game, in my opinion. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's actually reminiscent of something that happened with the San Antonio Spurs in Miami Heat many years later when they thought they'd won that that series and the champagne was out and everything oh. was open and then you know LeBron James oh, and Ray Allen did all what. that. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I tell you what, it was you know, we couldn't wait to get off the court. So as soon as that Siren went in game two, we just headed. And um, and you could see the mads. We, we didn't know what was going on, but there was a mad scramble around our locker room. But it was everybody trying to get the champagne and all the wheat bix boxes and everything out of the way and the streamers down quickly before they let us in. <laughs> anyway.
0: Nevertheless, even though you guys didn't win, huge achievement to take that to three games and, and be one of the last two teams standing in the, only the second year of the WNBA, though.
2: Michelle. Yeah, but it means nothing. We needed to win a championship. <laughs> I hear that. <laughs> was, I think that was the one of my disappointments in that. Well, there's a few disappointments about my WNBA career. I think that, um, firstly, I ne- we never won a championship. And secondly, it, I, I, wasn't, I didn't display my best hoop there. I'd sort of, um, you know, I'd worked so hard to get... Where I got in '96, and and that was, you know, it's going to sound big headed, but I was touted as the best point guard in the world at that stage, and um, and I'd worked really hard to get there, and I think I took my foot off the off the pedal and just, you know, went to the WNBA, sat back, and and didn't I didn't apply myself like I did to get where I got, and so they they kind of didn't see the best of how I could play and I was disappointed in that, you know, if I had my time again, I just would have stayed focused and not got so wrapped up in this crazy world of the WNBA, yeah. which was like being an NBA player, you know, people nearly getting hit by cars to come get your auto- autograph, people mm-hmm. lining up for three hours to get your autograph, people buying your meals, that, you know, everything you can imagine that happens to the pro athlete, we got to experience that and I think I kind of, I took my eye off the ball and, and you know, just figured, oh, well, coming to the end of my career instead of, you know, really going, okay, this is when I get to really be the, the great player that I really always wanted to be, you know. So if I had my time again, I definitely would have um, I would have stayed focused and, and and rewarded myself for all those years of hard work that, that had, you know, taken to get to where I got to in 96.
0: Thanks, Michelle. Well, that's a pretty good segue here because, um, I mean, in, in 1999 you did show some of your some of your best form in the WNBA. We talk about the bright lights of, of the league and whatnot. Madison, Madison Square Garden, All-Star Weekend, 1999. <laughs> 99. You got to play alongside some absolute legends of the game. I mean, Lisa Leslie was your teammate and the MVP in that inaugural All-Star Game. Bright lights, huge crowd, the mecca of basketball in New York. Um, yeah. What do you remember about that experience?
2: Oh, that was unreal. That All-Star Game was was fantastic and, and hugely, like, honoured. Because when I, when I played... Um, I was never a big scorer or anything like that. You know, I distributed the ball, played the good, gritty defence, and 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 I thought over there, sometimes that gets overlooked, you know, um, but I was really lucky to be put into that all-star, that inaugural all-star game and just had the best time. Like you say, having an opportunity to play alongside Lisa Leslie and Swoops, and that was just fantastic, and just to get to know those girls. And, and it was funny because I was more of a, you know, the ball to those guys and that i hadn't i was the only player on the score sheet that hadn't scored and then just towards the end of the game i i finally i think i hit a three and and got on the scoreboard and that's you know like everybody was so wrapped that the whole team had actually scored then but um it was an amazing experience playing at the you know madison square garden every time we went in there it was it had this um i don't know this aura about this feel about this magical feel about this place that you just respected so much and 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 truly appreciated the opportunity to get an, you know, have a chance to play there, you know?
0: Yeah. You talk about people have come before and whoever, who graced that court over the years, right?
2: Yeah. Um, And who's played
0: on that court. Amazing, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Awesome. Now, Tindy, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the Academy before we wrap it up. I just had one other quick question as well. I just wanted to sort of see what your thoughts were just with the evolution of the three point shot and how that sort of evolved over the years. Um, it's something we've obviously seen, you know, in both the women's and men's game. It's a major sort of weapon now. How are you sort of seeing the evolution of that? And Do you think that will sort of continue where the game is played, you know, outside in as it is now?
2: Um, look, I'll speak more to the importance of being able to make the three. I think that's something that um, Australian women's basketball internationally at times hasn't done well. And I think your percentage, and, and I talked to a good friend, Ian Stacker, who has won... A gold medal with the
1: women's
2: yep, Um, we speak at length about the importance of the three point line, and, and when there's it's major, like um, major games going on, we, um, like the you know, you're talking world championships or olympics, we we often you know text each other about see, you know, 17 from the three point line ain't gonna win your ball games, mm-hmm. you know, like so. We we see that it's super important to be able to have um, consistent shooting from behind the arc, and you yep. know, we all know that when you do have that, then that opens the, you know, opens everything up for you as well. You know, you can get inside the paint create and hit the ones who are out there and they've got to respect your three. And so um, we, we speak at length about the the value of of having people who can consistently shoot the three. And I think that's something that's, that's missed from the women's game, you know, over the years. Well, I think Um, it's all
1: very well. People saying, you know, three points is worth more than two and all that sort of stuff, but you're right. You've got to have the right people sort of that are able to take and make those shots. And, That's probably something I've seen, especially from the NBA sort of side of things. There's guys taking threes there that shouldn't just shouldn't be shooting them. Well, they need to improve before they do, I guess. But
2: yeah, no, it's definitely you need thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of reps, you know, Mm. absolutely. You need to become a consistent three point shooter. Like, but, um, and I think that's something that, you know, as I said, and I'll say it again, I don't think that we are great three point shooters as a nation in the women's game, but, um, and that's something that we really need to improve on, uh, which will help our our game, you know, especially, you know, when you when you think of when we had Big Liz as well back in the day. Mm. So, um, you know, she was able to, you know, drag all the D and kick it and then consistently nail that, you know. Um, but, yeah, look, the game, the, the, the on ball um, has created a lot of three points, you know, plays and things like that. So the style of the game has definitely changed. But you're absolutely right, Rob. I mean, the IQ of players, as much as the athleticism has got better, the IQ at times for me of these, uh, the, some of these athletes just doesn't match the athleticism, and, and they take some crazy shots, and you know, early shots on the clock, and from the three point land, and 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 when the clock's running down, they take their their last play too early. So the IQ um, is something that I don't think, I think is something that needs to be evolved a little bit more as well. And maybe maybe it's because they're so athletic, they think they can just, you know, I I don't know, I'm not even going to go there, but <laughs> I think the IQ of the game um, at times. Yeah. No, um, I think it's
1: a good call. Great. Yeah. Yep.
2: Yeah. All right. Yeah. So Michelle, I just wanted
1: to no, thank thank you for that. I just wanted to sort of check as well. Um, look, we know sort of after you know you retired from playing in the game, you sort of coached in various capacities around the world. Um, I just wanted to sort of see what it's like now to be, you know, running your own academy, working with the future of Australian basketball. And I guess this lastly, can you just tell us a little bit more about the Michelle Timms Basketball Academy?
2: Yeah, look, it's um it's like something that I always wanted to do when I, when I was working with Tom Murray over in China for so many years, I, it was like time to come back and and I and even when I was over there, I was sort of plotting and planning what I wanted to do in running my own academy and really focus on the I I did, actually I didn't know at first what age group, but I've really settled into the under-twelves and under-fourteens for elite mm-hmm. and then the beginner basketball from the, you know, six till six till nine, six till eleven year years of age. So I have a, a couple of different legs of my or branches of my academy and, and one is called the Future Stars, which is for kids who play domestic or primary school basketball or beginning or, and so it's very much just station orientated, a little bit like Aussie hoops and, um, and that's just, I love it. The kids come in on a Thursday and Friday afternoon and they um, chuck their bags down and they race out on the court and then we get going. So the enthusiasm and, um, is just fantastic and seeing those kids evolve so quickly is um is super. Um and then I had the more serious side which is the elite side which um we have Friday night championship basketball down here in Melbourne and if kids are playing that then they um they can come and join the elite academy which is uh Tom Mara and I run that branch with Peter Buckle. So pretty high powered coaches <laughs> um running the elite junior program for under 12s and under 14s which is fantastic. Um you know the kids just they, they just give you absolutely everything and They do their best, which is, you know, which is all you can really ask, isn't it?
1: Absolutely, yeah. You just want to sort of see they're enjoying it and sort of maybe just sort of improving a few things, right? I know the same with my daughter. I don't expect miracles from her, just to see she's having fun when she goes and plays and, you know, maybe improve a a little thing each time. So, no, thanks thanks for that, yeah.
0: Yeah, get the kids out from behind the PlayStation and doing something physical, you know, at a young age is is also good. So, yeah, great initiative there. Michelle, all right, I guess... um, Firstly, thanks. thanks Michelle, thanks Robbie, and thanks everyone for tuning in. As I mentioned at the start of the show, please su- subscribe to us on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, just a few other things. Uh, I have a TikTok channel, woody__v83, for some of the younger generation where we showcase all our jerseys and whatnot. So please follow the TikTok channel. Please support us on Patreon. we www.patreon.com forward slash Hoops. Uh, Robbie, would you like to tell the audience a little bit about where we can be followed on our various different uh, uh, mediums? I'd love to do that,
1: Woody. Um, of course, mate. So look, at our uh, Twitter handle is at throwbackshoops. Um, our Instagram is throwback.hoops. And, of course, our email address, you know, keep those questions coming. We've enjoyed some of the, you know, viewer questions that come in. So that email address is throwbackhoopspodcast at gmail.com.
0: Thanks, Robbie. Um, and, Michelle, where can people reach out to you on social media and also uh, regarding your academy?
2: Yeah, well, I have a, um, I'm have not so up with it like you guys, and it's something part of my business that I really need to work on, I think. But anyway, I have a, a Facebook page, Michelle Tim's Basketball Academy, and a team app, Michelle Tim's Basketball Academy as well. And if anyone wants to email and have me come up and run a camp or anything for their association, more than happy to do that during the school holidays. And they can just email me at Tim's 7 Academy at hotmail.com
0: thanks michelle and uh, a huge thank you for you you know making the time to to chop it up with us and and uh, it's been an absolute honor to get to know you are an absolute legend of the sport in, in, in this country so really appreciate it
2: thanks for having me woody and rob it's been great
0: it's been fun Alright guys, thanks thanks again for tuning into the show. We'll be back next week with, with another show and to all the throwback hoops team that work behind the scenes. Thank you. Robbie, Michelle, cheers. Thanks,
1: guys. Peace out.
2: Bye-bye. Thanks.